right, this is Gary Parrish again from CBS Sports. It's now uh, Wednesday, November 4th, and this is the Ion College Basketball Podcast. I'm joined, uh, per usual, by my colleagues Matt Norlander and Sam Bassini, and we're now, I think I've got the countdown right. Nine days, is that right? Nine days to the start of the season? We are actually, yes, nine days away. Somebody call up Rothstein's Twitter account and see how many days we are away from Yeah, I, I know. We are nine days. John we're almost, I think we're it's, almost there. I think it's nine. We are almost there. And I, I tell you, I have reached the point. You know how coaches always say, um, hey, my players are just ready to play against somebody else. We're tired of practicing. We're ready to get going. Uh, whether we're ready or not, like actually ready, we're just anxious to get. I'm, I've reached that point. I am tired of talking about what I think's going to be can the case. Can we promise, hold on, can we, mm. can we promise not to talk about Louisville on this podcast? You're, the, you're the only person bringing it up. Okay, so. <laughs> there really isn't uh, any new developments with the Louisville case, so that's, that's good. True. Um, uh, but I'm with you because, and this is actually part of why I oddly love college hoops so much, is it basically starves you more than any other major American sport the offseason is, is longer. And so by the time, like, I'm just beyond ready for the games to get here and i know that it happens in the midst of football season and and nba and the warriors are like dominating the world and all that but i'm just i'm i'm so ready for uh for the season to begin and and that kind of happens every year so it's it's always welcome and uh basically one more week to go here yeah not only am i ready like i've run out of stuff to say like i don't have anything else to say i know this well this was a great podcast (laughs) (laughs) no i know this is going to surprise some people this actually might be the best thing that ever happened to the podcast i've run out of stuff to say so sam you got anything you want to say Nah, go ahead. <laughs> no, but like, so um, <laughs> we get started next Friday, right? And I don't right. know how many great games there are, but there are games. North Carolina is playing at the Naval Academy, and I'm going to that. I'm going to fly up on Wednesday to, I guess, Baltimore, drive over to Annapolis. And my plan is to spend Thursday, um, you know, at the Naval Academy with the teams. The teams being uh, North Carolina and Temple and Florida and Navy. And that was a really fun event last year. Um, Shaka Smart was there with VCU and what ended up being his final year. Tennessee was there with Donnie Tyndall, also ended up being his final year right. for different reasons. Um, but I, one of the things I didn't do was go up early enough to spend some time on the on the uh, on the base. And I, I got there a few hours before the game. It was beautiful, but I didn't really get to take it in, whatever experience there might be. So I'm looking forward uh, to getting there next Thursday and doing that. And then of course Friday on the CBS Sports Network. Uh, it is the preseason number one team in the country, the North Carolina Tar Heels. So I'm, uh, yeah, I'm ready to go. Yeah, and so Carolina is going to be interesting because that we'll get a look at them to start the season, and you know, preseason number one. The AP poll did come out this week, um, and that you know that obviously always makes news because you know, for right or for wrong, the AP poll is the one that people look to most frequently for any sort of compass. Uh, nationally on what on what you know what to expect so Carolina is one Kentucky was two in that and I think college basketball does a pretty good job uh, of not overreacting the way college football can and college football currently is to a certain degree with uh, with the way that the the first playoff has been announced and your Memphis Tigers are all the way down to what thirteen or thirteen like and underrated um, in my entire lifetime. Good job overall, but I think Carolina is one of the teams I'm most interested to see in those first two or three games because, to me, they've got the makeup to be a dominant type team and and be one of the most impressive teams early on. We'll see if we get some of that in the first uh, couple of weeks. I will say this: in my entire lifetime, I never thought we'd get to a point where it would be November third. College football playoff rankings would be released, and uh, Memphis 
would be ranked 13th. And I'd go, you know what? That's probably too low. Like, it's just insane. Seriously. Like, it's insane. And let me just say this about the college football playoff rankings. I understand because, like, it was the topic of conversation last night because they were released for the first time. And I understand you, you always get these comments like, hey, it's November. It's early November. They don't really matter. Look at the initial playoff rankings from last year. You know, Ohio State was 16th. It didn't matter. They were the uh, they were ultimately the national champions. And I get it. Like, if you just want to say – don't pay attention to the rankings because they do not matter. Don't be bothered by the rankings because they do not matter. Don't be um, irritated because most of this stuff is going to shake itself out over the next month. I got you. But my point would be, if you're going to do rankings, like you can always be dismissive of them if you want to. But this is sort of my approach with the poll attacks and with the top 25 and one that I do every day during the season. If you're going to take the time to do them, do them right. Make them make sense. Yeah. And what, what we saw last night, with Alabama being fourth. That's insane. It's insane. Doesn't make any sense. You like you can't you cannot justify Alabama fourth. It like, was so college football of them to do that though. Yeah. Oh, here, sure. Here's the thing with that to me. It's like we're still trying to figure out what this college football committee cares about, you know? Like what are they looking for in college football teams that says, hey, uh this is what we want in our playoff this year. This is uh exactly what we're looking for. We're looking Name at resume, recognition. Or we're looking at well, yeah, but uh, we're looking at either we're looking at either resume or we're looking at, you know, just how good your team is. Sure. We're just saying, hey, this is the team that we think is the fourth best in the country. And to me, we still don't know that. So the process behind the results matters a lot to me. I, I want to know, like, what exactly they're thinking, because Jeff Long says something different every week. Sure. No. It's, yeah, that, that actually hit what, you know, this kind of happened last year and I'll kind of, you know weave college basketball into this a little bit. And we've talked a bit about this on the podcast in the past to a certain extent, but with the selection committee in college basketball, they've gotten better for the most part with each year, especially over the past decade in letting us know more and more the criteria involved, what matters granted with each committee member. And, you know, this committee changes by the year to a certain extent, you'll have some, you know, a couple people leave, a few people stay on, on that 10 person committee for NCAA basketball. We have a really good idea. And I feel like the college basketball community, coaches, writers, analysts have done a good job in helping steer the ship in a really productive and efficient way. It's not perfect, obviously. And I would argue that it's never ever could be perfect because no one, you know, uh, we're never going to fully agree on a, a certain set of rules and whatnot. But at least college basketball has had decades to practice in getting it there. This is college football's second year. They are they are dealing with it completely, you know, and in a lot of ways it is apples to oranges in what they're doing from the sheer number of teams involved to the fact that it's a different sport to the metrics in one sport not being the same as the metrics in another. Uh, but that said, it, it's, you know, people have called for this playoff for a long time, and I'm glad that it's here. And personally, my dream is eight, sure. I, not even six, but I think eight is the perfect number and have the, the top four teams host the first round game. But in this, you know, modern media landscape, um, you're just going to have growing pains for a few years here. It, it's, it is bad that this trend has continued here where the the criteria or a criterion in a given week seems to change by the week. It's not a good look for college football. And the primary uh, criticism here is the brand name recognition that college troops got kind of killed for to a certain degree. And I get some of that. But in football, when you look at Baylor and TCU not making it last year and this, you know, after being in the top four every week leading up to it and then the final week, they're five and six. 
it's why, you know, I'm going to emphasize again, college basketball does not need to do this. Uh, there's a certain element to Selection Sunday that I enjoy. I think GP disagrees on this with me a little bit. But to me, it just creates all this noise. And maybe there's a benefit to having that because it generates interest. But ultimately, you can make, make yourself to look so foolish in the end. And that might not happen again with the college football playoff committee this year uh, when we get down to it uh, in mid-December. But, you know, they haven't one week in the criticism is carried over without a beat from what it ended up with last season. To the extent that I I disagree with you about Selection Sunday, it's that I think you you said one time that if we tried to do this with college basketball, in other words, have the actual committee put out you know, the top four seeds in each region, you know, week to week to week, that it would somehow take away um, the interest in Selection Sunday. And I just don't think that's the case. By the time you get to the end and you're actually revealing the actual bracket, people are going to be there. People are going to be interested. Folks are going to be happy and disappointed and all things in between. Um, But I do agree that this is completely unnecessary to the process unless, and let's be honest, this is what it is, you just want a television show every week. You know, you, you just want a television show for ESPN to make a lot of money off of every single week, you know, starting now through the end of the season. There's no actual benefit to ranking teams every week. It doesn't help you rank them better at the end. The truth is you could take that committee, put them in a room for uh, two days at the end of the season, and they'd, they'd come up with the exact four that they're going to come up with anyway, doing it this way. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a massive waste of time for, you know, people who – who, for the most part, have other things to do. But <laughs> but it's all in the spirit of like having a television show every week. And so um, here we are. Though, you know, I tweeted last night that, and this is turning into a college football playoff <laughs> podcast, which is fine, whatever. I'm totally cool with that. Yeah. Um, I tweeted last night that, um, you know, you know, with, sarcastically, Memphis should have lost at home to Ole Miss like Alabama did, that then could have gotten to the top four. And some people interpreted that as, um, I thought Memphis should be ranked ahead of Alabama. Really, it was just a smart-ass comment that I knew would get retweeted a bunch. But, um, you know, because I don't know that Memphis should be ahead of Alabama. My only point is that you cannot put Alabama in the top four with a home loss to Ole Miss and only one top 20 college football playoff win. You know, I, I guess it's a victory over Texas A&M. Like, uh, that's, there's just no way that's a top four resume. And so people come in with, well, you have to understand – you know, I test and Alabama's the best team in the country and blah, blah, blah. I don't disagree that Alabama's one of the four best teams in the country. If you told me to just pick the four best teams in the country, I would pick Alabama as one of them. But the, the results have to matter. And this is where I do think the selection committee in basketball actually does a pretty good job. They, 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 uh, they respect the results. They don't, two years ago, look at a Kentucky roster with uh, you know, the Harrisons and Julius Randle and all of that talent and say, listen, I know they lost a bunch of games and they've sucked for most of the year, but that team's talented and they could beat anybody on a neutral court. So we're going to make them a three seed. No, they say, listen, the, 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 the games matter. We got to respect the results. Wichita State has a resume of a one seed. Kentucky has a resume of an eight seed. And though that might have been a bad matchup, in fact, it was undeniably a bad matchup for Wichita State, they respected the results and, and, and not completely, but almost completely did away with everything else. And I, I think that's way better. If you're just going to, you know, look to Vegas to see who would be favored in a game or, you know, uh, you know, use the quote eye test to figure out who you think's best, 
then you can dismiss whatever you want to dismiss forever. And if you pl- apply this to other sports, like let's just make the Mets World Series champions because like my eyes tell me that they're better than the Royals. They just screw up at the end of games and throw the ball to the backstop or let a ball <laughs> roll into right field. But I think they're better. That's what my eyes tell me. They got better pitching. Um, uh, they were favored when the series started. So like if, if you apply, oh, and by the way, I think the Blue Jays probably better than the Royals as well. Like, let's just, let's just do away with the results and, and, and say that the Blue Jays, no, we respect the results. So the Warriors, you know, I mean, the, the Royals win a world championship and they have 800,000 people show up at a parade. In every other sport, we respect the results. And for whatever reason, in college football, um, that committee, at least in their initial rankings, they did not respect the results of the games played to date. Uh, they decided to go with brand recognition and, I guess who they think is really one of the four best teams in the country, again, which I don't disagree with. Uh, but you can't, you can't base your entire thing on we're going to not be a slave to the polls, and we're not going, you know, we're gonna, we're not gonna uh, base this on where somebody was ranked in the preseason. If you go read the actual like criteria for the college football playoff, this is the type of stuff it says. It says we're going to take a fresh look at what's actually happened in the season. And rank accordingly, and there is no way that they did that last night. Right, and they, well, they, you know, this is uh, how they got into trouble last year too. I mentioned TCU. Right, they won fifty-five mm-hmm. to three in their last regular season game. And they dropped. Actually, and, and granted, Iowa State was a brutal team and terrible, but they showed no evidence whatsoever. At the time, you know, they were what number three in the poll, I believe. They were third. They win by fifty-two points, and they drop out of the rankings to number six. I think I think they were even below Baylor after that point. I know the whole Baylor over TCU thing created a weird quagmire with the Big 12 and all that stuff. But that's the other inherent danger that you get into is that you set yourself up for this. And then at the end, you flip it. Well, you know, Baylor and TCU, when have they ever really been good in college football aside from the past half decade of that? And so that's why, you know, criticism comes in hard and heavy. And Pat Forty wrote a great column at Yahoo last night about this in terms of brand recognition. And Bama has a little bit of a Duke effect going on. I think people for a long time have believed that the committee in college basketball has unfairly rewarded Duke. Part of that is, listen, North Carolina is a great college basketball state and so the the state simply has the first weekend of the tournament every single year because the joint will be filled no matter what people in carolina are going to go to that so the ncaa you know it wants to make money and get fans in the seats so when duke is good every year and you have seat protection yes they're going to be within a two-hour drive if not closer every single season at home so that's part of why um duke gets you know such favorable seeds in many years and often they've earned it too but with what's happening here at alabama I think is a little bit of a different situation and it should be interesting as we go on. I just hope, you know, as a kind of a side note here, um, when this happened last year and there was kind of a push for college basketball to maybe consider doing this, I was, I was very outspoken about it not, and I wasn't the only one, but I, I spoke to Dan Gavitt later on in the season. He told me in conversation, he was like, listen, we were debating it and, the the outcry from from columnists basically pushed us to not do this. Sure. And so I would say we should continue to do that because I, I, I listen, you know, call me a simplist or an old school kind of guy. I like that we don't have that unnecessary white noise leading up to it. Um, 
college football can do its own thing, and 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 this TV show element's probably never going to go away, uh, because ultimately, like, what do they care? Like, you know, they're going to get the publicity, and they're going to get the teams at the end. People are going to watch the games, and you know, I I get all that. But uh, to me, the way college basketball done it, has done it with Selection Sunday for so many years, I like the formula in place there, and you you avoid the pitfalls and, and you know some of the bad backlash that's inevitable, and, and can expose some of the inherent flaws. Um, that oh. that you know, oh sure because if you, if you wanted to last year just decide you want Ohio State in the Final Four if you didn't have the previous week's ranking nobody would argue with you but yep. be, but because you had who was it TCU in there the week before and then they 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 just beat the hell out of somebody and then you drop them out it's like come on what are you doing which to me underlines the point that was uh, highlighted again last night it seems to me the committee does ranks how it wants to rank. And then they cherry pick data to 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 make it work, however they want to make it work. They're working backwards. They don't use the data to guide them to a final four. They pick their final four and then use whatever data they need to use yeah. um, to to rationalize or justify what it is they're doing. Let's move on. You want to talk basketball for a second? Here's what we're gonna do. Um, Norlander, you put out the hot seat list, CBSSports.com, yeah. earlier this week. I will list the men who are on it. Brad Brunel, Tom Cream, Travis Ford, Brian Gregory, Josh Pastner, Dave Rice, Lorenzo Romar, Bruce Weber, Kevin Willard. So I, I don't think there's any really surprises on there. I don't think anybody could argue with the list there, not even the men whose names are on it. Here's the question I want to ask you, Sam. If you had to bet your salary, on one guy who absolutely will not be coaching at his current school next year off of this list, who would you bet on? That's hard. Um, it'd be one of Brian Gregory or Brad Brunell. Um, I, I don't know which one I, I'll go with Brunell. Uh, I would say year six, he's been to the NCAA tournament once. There's no real direction. Uh, that that program seems to be going as far as a trend upward. Uh, and it's the same way with Brian Gregory. I think he's in year five now, hasn't made the NCAA tournament. Uh, and there, again, is no real upward trajectory. The other guys on this list, it feels to me like there's at least the potential for them to, you know, kind of rise up and, you know, kind of stave off the rumors just a little bit. Sure. Um, you know, Tom Crean has a great team in Indiana. Poor Even Tom Crean got a preseason top 15 team. Can't get off the high seat list. I, I, Seriously. I'm not. Listen, My let's get transparent with this thing here. GP hates doing this, so I have to do it. It's not a fun thing to do. I, I don't get any sort of enjoyment out of creating hot seat lists, okay? I'm not, like, loving yeah, the fact like that I get sucks. to put 10 coaches whose jobs are in jeopardy, who have families, who live in these communities. <laughs> I mean, this is got... a national website. Their families could read it. You wrote sure. the thing on Turgeon, and his son asking him in the car, hey, Daddy, are you going to have a job in five months? Like, it sucks, right? <laughs> no, it doesn't. It does. Like, think about it, and think about it if it were the case in any other profession. Like, what, Absolutely. If, what if somebody put out – a hot seat list for college basketball writers. Here's 10 guys I think might not have their job. In a year. <laughs> You'd be like, God damn, you know, like you, you wouldn't want to see that, but uh, it, it, it is, it, it's sort of, listen, these guys all make lots of money. This is part of it. I think they understand, but it is an unpleasant reality of the sport. And, you know, in most of our professions, people don't actively discuss whether we're going to have our jobs in a year. Like, but because but people just don't care, right? Like in most professions, like if you're the accountant down the street, there isn't a room full, filled with people 
somewhere else debating whether or not you're going to be doing tax work at that firm in a year. Like people, most of us, 99.9% of us in the world go through life without anybody caring what our jobs are. And yet, um, you know, whether it's professional athletes or, you know, it's really not even true in the entertainment business. Like nobody sits around debating whether Tom Cruise is ever going to do another movie and if he should. It's, it's sort of, I don't want to say completely limited in sports because politics, I guess, goes into it as well. But it, it is most obvious in sports. If you're a, a, an athlete or a coach, uh, your job security is a constant topic of discussion. And that must be a weird way to live. Yeah, it's and with sports and politics, there's a civic connectivity with it, and there's a certain level of, of pride and personal well-being. With politics, it's much more legitimate, in my opinion, because you know, in that case, especially on the local level, you're dealing with people that are quite literally affecting um, <laughs> things that are happening in in your community from an economical level on down. With sports, it's you know, you want your team to win so you feel better about yourself. In a lot of ways, it can affect uh, a, a a region's economy. There's no doubt about that. And so, and you want you know a coach that can uh, represent your area, your school well, and I get all that and stuff. So like the the interest in it, I'm not denying that like it's there and fans have it and like fans want these lists out there because they want pressure on their coaches and a lot of, like you can't just you can't deny the fact that there are a lot of indiana fans hate tom crean they don't want him as their coach he I, could go to the sweet 16 uh, he could go to the final four they still would not want him as their coach it, there is something about crean that they inherently just don't like with his personality i'm not saying it's all indiana fans i'm just saying i've seen enough of it i've heard enough of it i've been to bloomington and there's just there's a faction of them that don't like tom crean the person so i don't know how he's going to get I mean I guess he would get off this list if they made a big run and at that point you're not going to get he's going to stay but he's not going to turn a certain section I think he would have to win on such a huge level and to me it's it's a lot of it's unfair when you especially when you see what Tom Crean's done um there was an article a couple months back guys I I wish I could I could give uh, maybe Penny Sam's dog knows it um yeah, I wish I could does. give the, uh, she, the author credit I can't remember who did it but it basically was you know, a bunch of articles, that, or a bunch of uh, acts that Karina had done kind of in private without. Oh, sure. You know, yeah, yeah. I remember this. Yeah. And it wasn't even like, hey, I did this. Can we just, you know, make it seem like, you know, it was a lot of it was one was like, you know, just a random Twitter user with X amount of followers took a photo of Tom Crean feeding a homeless man outside of McDonald's. Like, you know, you can't really set that up as sort of fake PR. And so Tom Crean seems like a really good dude. But ultimately, He's got a 49 and 77 record in the Big Ten. The loss to Syracuse was uh, a huge deal because Indiana was a one seed and seen as a team that minimally should have gotten to the Elite Eight and really had a chance at a Final Four. And so, yeah, he's on the list because the baseline of my hot seat, I guess, if I was if I was going to do it, is if you don't make the NCAA tournament at a major conference job is your future at that school in serious doubt? And if the answer is yes, then you deserve to be on the hot seat list. And so yeah. Tom Crean with this team doesn't reach the NCAA tournament this season, which I don't think will happen. I think he's getting there. But if it did happen, then yeah, Indiana's going to almost definitely be finding a new coach. Next That's year. a fair assessment. I, I, mm -hmm. I, I got a lot of thoughts on this. So I am fascinated by the Tom Crean thing. The idea, because I know the forty nine seventy seven record in the Big Ten at Indiana, but those first three years were just I, a mess yeah, because of what he inherited. Sort of an unfair thing because you okay, got to yeah. realize what he was walking into. Okay, right. Okay, so uh, in the past four years, he's gone to three NCAA tournaments. He's made two Sweet Sixteens. He won the first outright Big Ten title at Indiana in more than two decades. He um, uh, went to the Sweet Sixteen and the, you know and lost to he lost as a one seed to Syracuse, and that is that is. 
where this whole Tom Crean can't do the job thing really started. There was like some little stuff here and there, but that's where that that Thursday night in Washington D.C. when they lose to Syracuse is when it really got ratcheted to a new level because. Um, Details be damned. Indiana fans thought that was a team that should win the national championship. I don't disagree, or at least disagree with the idea that they had a chance to. But like for four months, they were great. They were outright Big Ten champions. They were number one seed in the NCAA tournament. And to have that erased by a loss in a 40-minute game, I know the stakes are high. But it just seems as, as it relates to Indiana and any other program in America, like it seems insane to me. Like Wichita State being undefeated, and then losing to Kentucky in the round of 32 because Fred Van Vliet, for a lot of reasons, like because nobody could guard the Harrisons down the stretch, really. But, you know, Fred Van Vliet misses a shot at the buzzer, so Wichita State's eliminated. Does that mean Greg Marshall, like, underachieved? Does that mean they had a bad season? Of course not. But, like, that is the way this was interpreted by Indiana fans. Never mind that Indiana in that game missed 12 of 15 three-point shots. They were the fourth best three-point shooting team in the in the country that year. Jordan Holes, who was their best three-point shooter, um, had a cortisone shot before the game. He had injured his shoulder against Temple. He was 0 of 6 from 3. He wasn't okay. So they were banged up. They didn't make the shots they usually make. And they lose to a Syracuse team, which, by the way, had the future NBA Rookie of the Year, Michael Carter-Williams, on the team and subsequently went to the Final Four. Like, that ain't the worst loss in the world. It ain't like losing, with all due respect, to Northern Iowa if you're Kansas. You know what I'm saying? Um, they, they, like, but, but, so, like, okay, then the next year they lose four 1,000-point scores. You can tell I just went to Bloomington, so I've got, I'm, like, working on a big story on this that has turned into a way bigger story than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> so they lose four 1,000-point scores, including Cody Zeller and Victor Oladipo. They just weren't ready to, 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 you know, uh, endure the, those types of departures. They never thought they were going to lose Oladipo after that season. Uh, or, I mean, they knew it in the season, but they couldn't have prepared for it. Like, they figured he'd be a part of the 2013-14 team, and he obviously wasn't. So they slipped. Then last year, they were picked preseason 11th in the Big Ten. They went to the NCAA tournament anyway. My point being this. Three years ago, they had the number one team in the country for much of the season, won an outright Big Ten title. Then they lost four... 1,000-point scores, they slipped. Then last year, they overachieved by definition, and right now he's got a preseason top 15 team. And you're exactly right, Norlander. There are Indiana fans who do not want him to be the coach. And I am. it is why I went to Bloomington. It is the story I'm working on. Um, well, how did this happen? Why is this reality? In, in what other – because, like, on your hot seat list, he's the only guy with a preseason top 25 team who's on it. And I, I say that – I'm not saying he shouldn't be on it. He should be on it. But it is fascinating to me – um, that he, that, you know, it, it, how a guy who by any sort of measuring device is doing a good job, has done a good job and is doing a good job right now, um, could end up in the situation that he's in is interesting to me. And I do think it's mostly unique to him. Like Josh Pastner is also on your hot seat list and he's up against it, even though he's mostly done a good job since replacing John Calipari. But some of the reason he's up against it is because, on paper, this team heading into the season isn't supposed to be very good. I think they were picked fifth in the American Athletic Conference. They're not supposed to make the NCAA tournament. So, like, part of the reason Memphis fans have turned on Josh is because it's, it was bad last year, and it looks like it's going to be bad this year. But with Crean, it was overachievement last year, according to preseason expectations, and it looks like it could be great this year. 
and yet he's still sort of in the same place Josh Pastner is. I don't know. I, that's a long-winded way to say I'm just intrigued by the whole deal. Yeah, it's Tim. just crazy. Go yeah, ahead. it's crazy to me that like I remember the Christian Watford shot, right? That like completely turned the tide of this program. Basically, it seemed like at the time, and. Then to look back, what is that three years later now? And we're like, maybe it's it's either three or four. And we're just like, yeah, he's he's on the hot seat. He might be done soon. It's crazy to me. I just can't believe that it's turned that much. And I think it's just because, like you guys said, that there has been a portion of this fan base that never wanted him as the coach. Like before that Watford shot, it did seem like I don't want to say he was already on the hot seat, but it, it seemed like there was still a portion of the fan base that didn't want him there even before the tide turned. And that's just so hard to me. I think some of what goes on with Indiana fans, and I'm not trying to paint with a broad brush because let me be clear. I get the sense that most, and maybe most is just 51%, but most um, are are still like, they, they, they like what Tom Crean's doing. You know, like they, they recognize he inherited a mess. He's built it into something good. And like, they should be good this year. Um, so I don't want to like overstate everybody hates. I don't think that's true. Um, but there is certainly a, a, a significant portion of the, of the fan base that does. And um, yeah, I just, you know, I, I don't know. I, I just, I, I, it doesn't make sense to me. And I think the only way to explain it, I don't think it would make sense to most outsiders. I, I guarantee you there's Indiana fans listening to me right now, listening to us right now, who are going to tweet at us and say, what you don't get is, what you don't understand is. And I, I think sometimes this goes on with UCLA fans. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to bring up it goes being on. out here. It feels exactly like the same thing that's happening yeah. with Steve Alford out here, which is crazy because Steve Alford is like Mr. Indiana, right. and we're talking about that fan base. So I don't know how he's dealt with all of this for his entire life. <laughs> you get um, in, you get caught in a historical yep. um, uh, 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 comparison that that nobody could possibly live up to. I think on on uh, these are always more complex issues than than I'm making them out to be right now. But mm-hmm. on some level, this is what Ben Howland ran into UCLA. Why can't you do what Coach Wooden used to do? And at Indiana, uh, you know, Indiana fans think they should be winning the Big Ten every single year because that's what Coach Knight would have done once upon a time. But the truth is, until Tom won an outright Big Ten title a couple years ago, they had not done it for 20 years. But they don't remember that. They, they only think about, you know, the perfection of 76 and the uh, national championship in whatever year, uh, 87. Uh, they, 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 sometimes a, a fan base, particularly a fan base that is as intense as Indiana's, they remember the best of times and they don't understand why you can't have those best of times all the times. And that makes it a really tough job for a coach. Yep. I, I've got, I got a few quick thoughts here. One, the Alfred thing is on the money, Sam. Uh, UCLA fans, already don't like Alfred who's gone to two NCAA tournaments has <laughs> definitely overseas. He's gone to two sweet 16s and he's like recruiting like a maniac. Know, he's got the entire great. ball family getting ready to enroll. Yeah, and they're, like, and they're like he has off. two top five recruiting classes <laughs> and has gone to two sweet 16s. Right. Like it's insane. And, and over, over the summer I had to write a thing on Alfred because UCLA as a whole, like and we do this college sports awards and you know, which programs just perform the best at, at all sorts of levels, not just college basketball and college football. And UCLA was number two. So I did the thing on Alfred I can't tell you how much hate mail I received over like them accusing me of UCLA paying me to write the article. Like (laughs) it's, it's stunning how much UCLA fans don't like Steve Alford right now. Yeah. Like I, I did that thing on UCLA's recruiting. Maybe I guess it was three weeks ago now. 
And, you know, it was actually not terrible, the feedback I got on it. But there were some UCLA, like, websites. Uh, there's one in particular that is a disaster, in my opinion, that uh, wrote, yeah, like, uh, UCLA's public relations department couldn't have written this article better. And I was like, well, look at what he's done. Look at what, like, what is there to be upset about, about what he's done so far? Who do you think you are? Like, yeah, who do you think so, you are? Well, so you get into a situation here with certain fan bases, um, and entitlement levels, and it exists in college basketball as much as it does in college football, and in college football certainly there's even more of it in my opinion, uh, but Indiana and UCLA are right there, but the difference is Indiana's fans show up to every game. UCLA, and I don't want to hear about just the traffic, but UCLA historically just has issues filling that building, so there's a lot of hypocritical attitudes going on with the fan base, which might fight back and say, yeah, we're not going because we don't believe in you know, the infrastructure and the people at the athletic department level from the coaches on up there. But still, it exists long before Alfred got there, long before Guerrero was there, so I don't buy that totally. Uh, real quick, I wanted just to hit a few other names on the list, though. Um, and then I'll circle back on with Pastor. Right, well, let, well, let me make one point. Really, like, okay, go ahead. You know, like, Josh Pastor is dealing with this the same sort of thing, not to the historical level at Indiana and UCLA, but, like, people compare him to John Calipari, right? You know, because Cal was killing it in those right. last four years. Josh went to four straight NCAA tournaments, 2011, 12, 13, and 14, and Memphis fans were still pissed off. Do you know how many times the University of Memphis has gone to four straight NCAA tournaments in its history before John Calipari? I would guess never. Once, once. 82, okay. 83, 84, 85. And it should be noted that those four seasons were vacated by the NCAA for <laughs> rules violations. So never. <laughs> yeah. So t according to the actual like NCAA book, uh, Memphis, before John Calipari, had never been to an four straight NCAA tournaments. Josh Pastner did it, and which makes it like the only co two coaches who have ever gone to four straight NCAA tournaments and not had them vacated by the NCAA, John Calipari and Josh Pastner. And Memphis fans hate Josh Pastner. Not all, but like a, a, a significant uh, portion of the fan base. It's just, it is, the expectations get out of whack. Like when I was a kid, if, if Memphis was ranked in the top 25, that was a big deal. It was like, wow, Memphis is 23rd. Isn't that crazy? Now, if Memphis not, isn't ranked in the top 25, it is a big deal. Like, it is completely flipped, and that's because of those last four years of John Calipari. Let's get back to the hot seat list. The question was this, Norlander. Yes. If you had to bet your salary on the one guy from that list who will not, definitely will not be coaching at a school next year, who would you pick? Okay. It's Gregory at Tech, and I... I Parrish, you were there, and Sam might have been standing with us as well. Gregory himself told us this stat in Vegas this year, and I couldn't believe it. I don't know if you remember when he said this, but it stuck in my mind. I do. Um, all right, so Georgia Tech, you know, it's never at the top of the ACC or whatever, but, you know, I made that random championship game against UConn back in 04, and it's, you know, it's, it's always felt like, you know, it's kind of a program that's just sort of there, but never terrible. It is unbelievable to me that Georgia Tech, which I think we have – maybe unintentionally or maybe subconsciously elevated to a level that it doesn't deserve to be at, or maybe it's just the most underachieving program legitimately in the entire country, given its location <laughs> and how much talent comes out of that city and that state since 1990. Okay. 1990. Think about how long that goes. Sam, you were one year old, right? I mean, maybe you weren't even born at that point. Uh, what, uh, Name your birth year, Vicini. 1990. What date are we talking in 1990? <laughs> we're talking basically March of 90. I was one month old, or okay, no, I wasn't insane. born then. No, okay, I so wasn't born then. Do you know so, your birthday, Sam? Over the entire span of Sam Pacini's uh, life, Georgia Tech has had two seasons where it's been above 500 in the ACC. That is absolutely mind-boggling to me. So, 
part my conclusion with Georgia Tech is it's not just Gregory. I th- it's something with the program. Something's off there, and it, it might be worthy of a of a real kind of a deeper dive eventually because there's no. I understand it's you know um, getting into the school and it, it deals. You know, it's it's not the easiest school to get into and all that. But still, it is it is amazing to me how that program. And, and if it wasn't for one sort of fluky championship game run in 04, shout out to Luke Shuncher. Um, maybe we don't have it in as high esteem, but you know, remember Stefan Marbury balling out there. Well, even since the Marbury days, twice has it ever been for over 500 in league play. That's my bogging to me. I don't think Gregory has the personnel to keep up in the ACC this season. Hasn't made a tournament. I think he's my pick of all of them to be most likely to move on. I'll do a quick cycle through here on just a few names though. Um, the passer thing to me, it's inevitable that this is, this is going to end. I, maybe not this season at next season at the latest, there's just, He's going to go somewhere else. I don't see how he is still Memphis's coach over the next three or four years, personally. Lorenzo Romar was the one that I put on there that might be a little bit of a surprise. No, that's the one I would pick. Okay, well, he, and here's the deal with Romar. So he's been he's an all he's an alum. He's been there for so long, I and mean, he's going to the year fourteen. I, to me, I think Washington fans have been. This has almost been like a healthy run. Like they've they've respected what he's done. He's had a couple of really nice seasons there. He's been done, had some victories in recruiting. But ultimately, yeah. this is this is this is an arrangement that has run its course. Washington might be the worst team in the Pac-12 this season. Uh, certainly can't see how it won't be one of the three worst, in my opinion. And when you have that, he hasn't made the tournament since 2011. To me, uh, they need to start looking at, at a new coach here. And so I, he, I think I mean, I'll, I'll shut up here and let you guys chime in. But the Romar thing is kind of they might even be two or three years late on this and, and kind of hung around because of his connection to the university. But uh, I think it's time to start anew there. And this is sort of a lame duck season for him. Well, what people will tell you is he, he's a gentleman and he's an alum. So he, he was given um, a certain level of patience, uh, uh, a certain level of uh, the fan base. I don't know about the fan base, but the administration has been patient with him in a way that might not have happened to another man at another school. Uh, that said, he's missed the tournament four straight years and he's about to do it for a fifth, barring a big surprise. You can't miss the tournament five straight years at Washington. That that is, um, that can't happen. I mean, that's fair, yeah. right? No, it I is. Think. But here's the thing with Romar. I think they brought in what was a top ten-ish recruiting class this year, and I think that because of that, and plus they have Markel Fultz coming in next year, who is one of the top fifteen kids in the country. I think that there's a bit of an excitement going. There's a bit of momentum going forward for that program to where I think he's bought himself some time. Oh wow. I, but okay, that's possible. And actually, when I—it's funny you bring that up, Sam, because when I put Romar on the list, um, I did not—I I debated doing the research because I know that they—they they have some recruiting victories. I wanted to look at like coaches that had been fired over the past decade or so, and I ultimately did not do this because it was—it would have been just way too time-consuming for what I was writing. But how often you have a coach with a top twenty recruiting class that gets fired? I don't know how often that happens. Um, and sure, like there's going to be some upward momentum with some of that, but ultimately if Washington wins 10 games this season, like, I think it's, I, to me, it's not the right move to keep him long-term if they don't show serious strides this year. And I don't think they will. And getting new blood in there might help that program because when they, when it's rolling, like people will say, that's, that's really one of the toughest gyms to play out in that, in that league when mm-hmm. they're, when they're really rolling. Um, quickly, let me frame it another way. How about this? Okay. And you guys, please chime in. Cause then maybe I'm missing something. How many current power five coaches have been, have, have endured five straight years of missing the NCAA tournament? It, it doesn't happen often. 
Um, I, I, I know Andy Kennedy at Ole Miss missed it his first five years at Ole Miss. Right. Okay, so that's one. Is there yeah. is there even another one? A man right now, head coach, um, Power Five Conference, who has missed the NCAA tournament at any point for five straight years. I don't think there is. Oh boy, uh, I don't oh, know. I feel like there probably too. is one. GP off the top mat. I don't know. To me, I've always said the baseline is six, and it's why I went with Willard in terms of like if you're at a multi bid league and consider the Big Five plus the the American uh, the Big well, is East. Willard, is West. Willard entering his sixth year? Yes, he is. Okay, then he would. Be, well, is that a power? That's not a power yeah. five. But, well, right. You but so, you but that's why I kind of expanded it out. In my opinion, if you're in a, if you're in a multi bid conference. And you you go six seasons without reaching the tournament. Um, almost you know over the past three decades, you don't keep your job, and nor should you, because that that is two full recruiting generation cycles. And if you can't prove that you can get the talent in and win, then certainly you need to start over. Willard has a really good relationship with that athletic director. It's why he's been given such a long leash. He was something of a surprise a hire for Seton Hall back when he got the job. But 30 and 60 in the league, he would be my number two choice behind Gregory because I don't see how Seton Hall could possibly be a top six team in the Big East this season. They started so hot last year, then just completely cratered. I know they've got Whitehead, who's a really good player. Um, and they've got some there, – there's some decent – Angel Delgado is pretty solid as well. They've got some decent stuff on that team, but uh, I'm not – expecting a huge year the one name i put on there that i i felt i was being a little hasty with but i took a temperature of the fan base is weber at kansas state who has a 62 and 38 record 32 and 22 in the big 12 he is in my opinion just taking a gamble hitting the big reset button and hoping that there is some signs of improvement this season i might be a little hasty with this because i feel like even if like let's say kansas state wins 14 games this year he could still hold on to his job, but I think in the eyes of many, uh, they're just not feeling the Bruce Weber thing, and they're ready to to go on and, and get a move on with it. So if they if they really don't have a good year, I wouldn't be shocked if K State starts over. He was my last inclusion on the list. I don't think that's unfair at all, to be honest. And I kind of do want to go back to the Gregory thing for a moment because, you know, looking at we always think that Georgia has all of this talent. But, I mean, if you look at their two marquee programs, like Georgia's only made the NCAA tournament eight times in the last 25 years or 28 years or something. So, like, maybe that area isn't as strong as we think it is, or maybe they've just totally failed here's what I, here's, and abdicated their responsibility. I mean, that's entirely possible, but um, it, it's hard for me to think that in 50 years of basketball at Georgia Tech and Georgia, or 50 basketball seasons, we could be talking about, what, 10 NCAA tournament bids? Right. I, I think the thing with Georgia is that the talent there is real. Like, when people talk about Atlanta, and like that, that's real. There are players there. The problem with Atlanta is that everybody hits Atlanta. Like, uh, you know, there are certain places in the country where um, if you coach there, you've got uh, an advantage to getting, you know, a certain type of player, right? Uh, You know, Memphis, not so much right now, but, but historically speaking, like if you're the head coach at Memphis, you've got an inside track of getting the Memphis kids. Well, at Atlanta, if you the head coach at Georgia Tech, you don't necessarily have an inside track to get in Atlanta kids. And, you know, if if same thing with Georgia. So, like, the problem among the problems there is that um, just because you're at Georgia Tech doesn't mean you can get those Atlanta kids. It's just not wired the sure. same way. And uh but it is interesting, like the Georgia Tech job on the surface, like should be a really good job. And so should the right. Georgia job. But, you know, men have not won there at a 
consistently at a high level. Like and it's yeah. yeah, to a lesser extent, it's a little bit like that in football too. Because you look at what Mark Drick's doing right now, he's been you know a really good coach this, there like, for a while. But I'm not as versed in it. But do, doesn't Georgia you like they get a healthy portion of studs out of that state? They do. Right. Georgia football does, but at the same time, it's been an underachieving program for the last few years, uh, maybe really even the last eight or nine years. Uh, but everyone still considers it this top five primo job where, you know, maybe it's not as strong a job as you think because you're literally situated right in the middle of every single southern school that's going to try and come in and steal your players. So it's like kind of a hard, tricky sell whenever you're talking about uh, a more national recruiting process than it's ever been uh, now, in my opinion. GP, before we wrap up, I'm going to put this I'm going to put this question to you. So I put Travis Ford on the list. Mm -hmm. Here's his here. Here are the here are the details. And I'll ask you why he, he's on the list. All right. He's 143 and 90 at uh, Oklahoma State, 52 and 50 in the Big 12. Not great, but not sub 500. And he has gone to the tournament five of, of the seven years that he's been there previously. Uh, that's a really healthy ratio, yep. yet he's undeniably uh, on the hot seat. Why should he slash why is he? What's your what's he, your theory? And I de detail a little bit if you want to read the article, but there could be other reasons that I didn't mention. So I just wanted to yeah, pose that to you. I, I think I think Travis suffers a little bit from what this uh, from from what Josh Pastor is suffering from, uh, which is people think. Because like if you just look at it in a vacuum and you go, okay, what ha what does the Wikipedia page say? What's been your records? Have you gone to the tournaments? That type of stuff. Like Travis Ford's done a fine job. Like a fine. I'm not gonna say a great job, but a fine job. The problem becomes uh, context matters, and people look at your rosters, and then they say you should have been better with those rosters. Like so, like going like Josh Pastor at Memphis has been to four of the past five NCAA tournaments. That's good if you just frame it like that. But the problem becomes, this is also true. Josh Pastor at Memphis, I think in each of the past five years, his teams have been ranked in the postseason lower than they were in the preseason. Okay, fine. So you're doing a good job in terms of you're going to the NCAA tournament, whatever. But why is your team never as good as it was supposed to be? Why is your, why is your team never as good as the roster suggests it ought to be? That's the question Memphis fans hit Josh with over the head. Um, and I think on some level, Travis Ford has dealt with that as well. Oh, okay, fine. You've gone to the NCAA tournament with Marcus Smart, but why is that all you could do with Marcus Smart? Isn't isn't that basically what it is? I think that's what it is. Yeah, he, he gets to five or seven NCAA tournaments and has one win to show for it. And Oklahoma State, which has just a little bit of a UCLA thing going on, where like for whatever reason they don't pack that building. It's really bizarre because it's such a proud program. You could honestly say it's you know close to a top 15 historic program in terms of the coaches they've had and what they've done over the years. But so they've got a certain level of expectation there and yet the fan base doesn't totally uh, maybe keep up its end of the bargain. But I, I also wonder if there's a little bit of a cream factor in that the fans might not like Ford overall as a person. Uh, again, that's to me, sometimes that's neither here nor there, but I think ultimately uh, when you're seeing more of a coach's personality on the floor, off the floor in these days than you ever did in the seventies, eighties and nineties, that can also lead toward uh, groupthink sentiment. Um, but ultimately, yeah, he's had some really nice players there. He's making the tournament, but Oklahoma State, if you coach there, it's different from Oklahoma in that getting there is not going to be enough. Making five of seven should save your job for at least over the course of a two-year period, in my opinion, uh, no matter when those five came in that seven-year period. But not winning. Uh, a lot of, you know, finding that 8-9, 7-10 game, going up against really good teams, 
if you were to win, but that is, hasn't even been the case. They have one win, and so I think that ultimately is also why, because there's been higher expectations. Uh, so he's just a weird candidate. It, yeah, you, no, uh, you almost never see a guy that goes to five out of seven NCAA tournaments and find himself on the hot seat, but Ford no. is undeniably there. And, by the way, GPU reported, you know, this was a 50-50 thing in April. Like, he could have easily been gone. Oh, sure, there but, were boosters uh, trying to make a move on him. Yes. There were boosters. And um, it, it's interesting, and we'll wrap this up right here, but, you know, what, what Sam said about Lorenzo Romar, like he's got a nice recruiting class coming in, and that might be the thing that saves him. Recruiting classes work both ways. They can be the thing that saves you in one instance, but if you enroll them and then don't do what people think is enough with them, they can also hurt you because people point back to the recruiting classes. That's what's going on with Travis, and it's what's going on with Josh Pastor at Memphis. Uh, the recruiting classes get everybody excited, but then once you get those, just going to the tournament isn't enough. You should be going to Sweet 16s, Elite 8s, maybe even Final 4s, and that that hasn't happened for Travis at Oklahoma State or Josh at Memphis is ultimately... Um, why both of them are on that hot, le- hot seat list. If you haven't checked it out yet, you can find it right now at cbssports.com. And remember, you can subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast over on iTunes. It's the quickest way to get your hands on the latest episodes. Make sure you do that. And uh, either way, we're going to talk again next week. Till then, take care.